0: Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com.
1: At this time, I'd like to introduce our guest preacher, Craig Hazen, to come on up. Craig is a friend of Pastor Michael, and he's the founding director of Christian Apologetics Program at Biola University. He's an amazing thinker, author, and a Christian leader. And he just wrote a book on prayer titled Fearless Prayer. And after the church service in the hallway over here, he has some books, and he's willing to sign them. And just if you're interested in that, he'll be out in the hallway afterwards. We have some coffees for sale in the hallway afterwards, so he'd be happy to do that. And I, I would like to pray for him, and it's on prayer, so I'm going to pray for him right now. And if you'd want to do this, if you'd extend your hand in prayer just to pray for him, we'd we'll do that right now. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you just anoint Craig right now in the name of Jesus, that his words would be your words, and you just bless him that his, as he speaks today, that he would just be um, a vessel of your truth and your, your words and of you. Bless him be with him, and that we can hear what you have to say through him. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. Well, this is fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is like a legit place, you know? I remember it was like a basement operation not, not long ago, but hey, some of, my, some of my Biola colleagues are here and everything. I mean, it's not long before you people have a fog machine. It's not long. Or you, or you, in case you are drummer in Lucite, you know. I don't know if you've seen those things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just next year I'll be here, and we'll have the whole operation: strobe lights, the whole thing. Oh my gosh! Oh no, this is actually. I love this. This is like this is like the size church should be. You know, people aren't lost. You know, you can't see the people way back there. Glad to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me, and, and, and I'm very excited to tell you about uh, some of the things I've been thinking about, about really the last decade, which resulted in a little book, and uh, I'm excited about that. And uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an academic person, and I've written academic things, and uh, nobody reads them. So, uh, so I wrote up. I wrote a novel called Five Sacred Crossings, and it is summertime, so you may need some beach or lake reading. So, uh, check that out. That's out on the table. And this, this, uh, precious little book on prayer, which, uh, uh, the publisher was hoping for the prayer of Jabez, you know, uh, uh he didn't quite get that. And, but I do hope it matches the sales and so on. So I wrote a book on prayer. Now, that might not strike you as funny, but I remember saying that to one of my colleagues on the Biola University campus. He said, You know, we were just saying, Hey, what are you, Hazen, what are you going to do this summer? I am going to work on a, a book. I got a contract and I'm moving forward with it. He goes, Oh, what's it on? I said, It's on prayer. And he goes, Oh, <laughs> well, good for you. You know, it's like, it's like, really? You're the kind of guy who's going to write a book on prayer? I mean, I just don't strike people as like Mr. Spiritual who wears scratchy robes and, you know, and, you know, wanders around in monasteries. Just don't strike people like that. But there is a little passage in the Gospel of John that just uh, fried my bacon over the years because I just didn't understand it. And it's this passage in John 15 uh, that you read, that we've already read this morning and... Uh, that was a nice rendition, by the way. And so I'm going to focus on that and, and talk to you about this part that really bugs me and see if we can't find a solution or we, maybe just try to figure out what Jesus was really talking about. So I, uh, I'm i an early riser and I'm the only early riser in my family. I got a big family, so it's kind of nice. When I get up, it's kind of quiet, so I have time to, to find a nice, uh, comfy Bible reading chair and crack open the scriptures and read them. It's a great time with the Lord every morning and... And so one morning, I'm reading along through the Gospel of John, which is kind of like the crescendo of your yearly Bible reading. When you get to the Gospel of John, I don't know why, it's just like wow, it's all coming together, and it's just I'm actually kind of excited to get up and read. And especially in the Gospel of John, we hit a big crescendo. And so I'm reading, and I get to chapter 15, and a lot of the Gospel of John, I mean, like the last third of it is devoted to uh, Jesus and his passion and. And his way to the cross. And uh, so this needs to be taken in that context. This is like one of the most important things he had to communicate to his followers. You know, he only had hours left with them to communicate his most important things. And this is, this is right in amongst the things he was teaching in those last hours. So I'll read this again because it really sets the tone for everything else I'm going to say. Uh, so starting with verse 5 of John 15. Verse 5, John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, into the fire, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wait a second. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So that's how I was looking at this that morning. I was reading it in my comfy Bible reading chair. I was like, I'm reading along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heard this before. Yeah, yeah. Good for Jesus. You know, everything's great. Uh, then I get the verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So that's a puzzling passage there because uh, I read it and I go, uh, that doesn't seem to be real in my life. And honestly, I don't really know anybody who uh, a verse like this or special promise like this seems to be real in their life either. What the world was he talking about? So I went on a little bit of an exploration, trying to discover what this meant. So that meant reading a whole bunch of books on prayer, you know, a big stack of them, you know, by all kinds of people you've heard of and haven't heard of uh, through uh, uh, decades ago to right up to the present. And and uh, by the way, be of good cheer if you struggle with prayer. Every one of the people who wrote those books said the exact same thing in the introduction or the first chapter. Oh, this is hard. Prayer is a difficult operation. Prayer is real, if you think about it, it's really just an amazing, uh, expression of faith. It's an amazing expression of faith because you just kind of close your eyes and you're just talking. You know, it reminds me of uh, the first time I did a a solo radio gig, you know? I was filling in for a guy on the, on a weekend radio broadcast where we took calls and things. And so there was nobody in the radio station because it was the weekend and there was a light in a in a, a kind of a soundproof booth where I was going to go in and actually do the broadcast, but there was just one engineer and me, and they put me in the booth i couldn't see the engineer anymore, and so I'm supposed to talk into this microphone and believe <laughs> that that the signal is going to go out across Southern California, and people are actually going to tune in and listen to this thing so i'm just talking and i'm not a I'm not the kind of guy who just you know sits uh, in in a corner and talks to himself anyway, so I know some guys who who and they, they, most of them do radio. They can talk easier than they can breathe, you know? That's not me. I can't just get into a booth by myself and just start talking, you know? And, and it just feels weird. It felt very strange. But it also gave me a sense for what it's like to, uh, to pray, you know? Hello? Anybody out there? Testing, you know? Uh, please call in if, uh, if you get this message, Lord, you know? Uh, <laughs> and we'll give you the number one more time. Uh, so it's just a, it's a very strange, uh, expression of faith. Prayer. Uh, but prayer, I think, uh, by the way, when I go around to churches talking about this particular passage now, and people have read the book and so on, uh, I've discovered, uh, that they have really latched on to one particular aspect of what I'm talking about. And that is actually what prayer is. And they've, uh, they find the, the thing that I'm talking about with regard to the nature of prayer to be very freeing for them. And I think it might be for, for you. So if you're going to write a book on prayer, you've got to read a bunch of books on prayer, and then you got to try to figure out what prayer is exactly. And here it is. And I think this is really the scriptural picture of prayer, not necessarily the theologian picture of prayer, because they, they go all over the map. But I think it really boils down to prayer is asking God for stuff. Yep. That's what it is. Uh, prayer is asking God for stuff. Here, in fact, on, on page 28, I'll, I'll quote a, an author. <laughs> Me, yeah. Uh, prayer is asking. We can qualify this statement if we need to by saying prayer is asking in relationship. Prayer is asking in conversation. Prayer is asking with the goal of making us mature in Christ. Prayer is asking while being conformed to God's will and so on. But in essence, after all the add-ons are factored in, prayer is asking. In his book on prayer, J.I. Packer wrote, But at the core, where all people of prayer bend their knees, prayer is asking. Begging God to supply felt needs. In a broader sense, asking is the very essence of praying. Uh, Dallas Willard concurred quote, The picture of prayer that emerges from the life and teachings of Jesus in the Gospels is quite clear. Basically, it is one of asking, requesting things from God. Surely, the most authoritative word on prayer comes from Jesus himself when he responds to one of his disciples' requests. Teach us to pray in Luke 11.1. Jesus then teaches them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And as scholars have pointed out through the centuries, the Lord's Prayer is a set of six requests, six asks directed to our Father in heaven. Prayer is fundamentally asking. Since this is true based on the authority of Jesus himself, and since prayer is so central to a dynamic life with God, it makes sense for us to learn how to ask, to ask regularly regularly fearlessly, sincerely, expectantly, and humbly for his hand to move in our lives in all the right ways. So prayer, in case you haven't picked it up yet, is asking. Uh, Now, in some of the books on prayer I read, they they really weren't big on the whole asking thing. In fact, it was way down on their list of things that prayer does. Prayer is really some sort of, (laughs) uh, you know, putting you in a position to have mystical union with God and maybe not use words or talk at all, just to be one with him. I suppose that's a wonderful thing if you want to add that to your prayer life, or if you want to uh, do praise or confession or whatever else. That's not eliminated from prayer by any stretch of the imagination, but if you leave the asking out, you might be missing the actual core of what prayer really is. And it seems to me that, that this whole thing about asking God puts us in this relationship of dependency upon God, that 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 puts us in just the right place for his work in us. And so I don't think we should neglect that. But some people are, oh, I couldn't I couldn't ask God for that. You know? Oh no. And they treat God like He's a single mom with two jobs, you know? Like, oh, I don't want to bother God with that. Oh, you know. In fact, listen to this. This uh uh Richard Foster. Uh he wrote a great little book on prayer. And here's, here's what he says about this. Uh, some have suggested, for example, that while the less discerning will continue to appeal to God for aid, right? Asking him for stuff. Uh, the real masters of the spiritual life go beyond petition to adoring God's essence with no needs or requests whatever. In this view, our asking represents a more crude and naive form of prayer while adoration and contemplation are a more enlightened and high-minded approach since they are free from any egocentric demands. This, I submit to you, says Foster, is a false spirituality. Petitionary prayer, that is asking God for stuff, remains primary throughout our lives because we are forever dependent upon God. It is something we never really get beyond, nor should we want to. The Bible is But the Bible itself is full of petitionary prayer and unabashedly recommends it to us. Prayer is asking. So be free. In fact, I want to encourage you to kind of ask wildly before God. And I want to say up front that this kind of wild asking may not result in the thing you want. Uh, uh, We're going to talk about how to get the stuff you want later. But I think in the opening salvo, about prayer being something we, where, where we're asking God for stuff, you need to go for it, even if it's a crazy idea. right? Let's say you want a private ski lodge in Aspen. And you're not going to invite anybody over. In fact, you're going to pound a sign to the ground outside that says, you know, go away, strangers. This is just for me. So there's no ministry going to happen in this. It is just for you. I say, ask God for it. Now, You probably won't get it, but nonetheless, (laughs) ask God for it. Hey, he, he might surprise you. He's, he's kind of crazy that way, but ask him for it because here's the thing. If you're asking him, even for crazy things, you're getting into his in, you're getting into his presence in a dependency relationship and he gets to tinker with you, you know? And so I want you, I want to encourage you to ask God for things, even if they're kind of uh, outside the bounds. I think it puts you in the right position. Now, it might be better to save a little time and move beyond the personal ski lodge in Aspen, and maybe ask for some things that are a little more directed. But but don't be afraid to ask. Just go for it. Ask him for things. He's he's actually a loving father who, and when my kids ask me stuff, I really want to give them things. You know, and if if unless it's going to rot their teeth or you know, uh, or or encourage bad character behavior, you know. I, and it's not too much money. so I try to get it to them. And I think God treats us the same way with our prayer requests. So keep that in mind. But it gets even more exciting. So we've got this passage in John 15 that kind of ramps it up a little bit. 15.7, uh, if you abide in me and if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You don't believe it for a second. And I know why you don't believe it. And we're going to talk about that. So, this is a passage that I say dies the death of a thousand qualifications. Uh, every book I read that, that was uh, started out this way. uh, Well, you got to be careful with this. In fact, I, over the years, when I was thinking about this passage, I'd ask church leaders, you know, pastors and elders and so on, the the, the mature people in Christ, I'd bump into at various churches I visit. I'd go, "What do you think about this passage?" And they they almost always started out with, "Well, you got to be careful with that." It's like I don't want to be careful with this. This is wild and crazy. I mean, this is this. I mean, you know what they get afraid of? They get afraid of me going into the word faith movement, right? Uh, that that's that's a huge danger. We're going to talk about some objections that people bring to this passage and why we are not embracing it uh, with gusto. So let me let me talk about a few of the problems that we see in this verse uh, from the outside. Uh, so when I was asking elders and pastors around the country, I mean, one guy said, uh, "Yeah, Hazen, you got to be careful with a verse like that." You know, the best I could figure is that was for people within spitting distance of Jesus. You know, uh, like you had to be right there close by in spatio-temporal proximity to the Lord himself. Uh, I'm not sure that's in the text, but hey, you know, thanks for trying, Pastor. Uh, so another fellow said, you know, uh, I, I think really that's for saints or professional clergy, you know, the, the the people who are like doing the minute work of the church every day. Maybe there's something going for that. Uh, one said, it's for the super mature. You know, I mean, that's when this really comes into play. You know, the Billy Grahams among us and so on. Uh, but, but Jesus was delivering these words to, uh, people who were gonna run out and betray him and then deny him, you know, in, in just a few hours. I'm not sure that really works out. They didn't seem to be super mature at the time, and yet he was giving them this important teaching. Uh, one fellow was just very honest. He was, yeah, <laughs> I tried it and it didn't work. So, you know, so he moved on to some other interpretation of this. He wanted to take it at face value, but he kind of abandoned it. All right, those are those are not particularly serious objections to this passage. Let me give you a few objections that I think actually affect our attitude toward this amazing promise. And the first is the word faith movement. It's had a huge impact on the way we look at a verse like this. Almost everybody I talk to about this is concerned about the word faith movement. Well, you got to be careful, Hazen. You know that's abused by people in the name it and claim it movement, the word faith movement, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel movement, and it's huge. That's that's on Christian television, you know, 24/7 around the globe. It's got a huge influence. Oh, you know, in in, in our uh, mainstream evangelical churches, that may not be something that we're Super concerned about, it, or we don't bump into it very often. But it's big out there. And, and, and people are very concerned that we go that direction. And of course, the word faith movement has some real strange teachings about this. It's, it's not that they're just asking God. They're actually demanding God to do things. That, that God's required to do things because their words have gone out in some sort of magical incantation. God is required to do those things. I never want to put myself in a position where I'm actually, you know, trying to put God in a headlock. You said, you know, uh, that's not a. That's probably not a good plan. But people get worried that we're heading down the road of the word faith movement. Here's here's an example of that. So the little book I wrote is called Fearless Prayer. Uh, the original title that I proposed to the publisher, and they were very excited about it. Uh, the original title was Ask for Anything and It Will Be Done for You. I just thought that would be a hot seller. Could you imagine a book with that title near the cash register of the Christian bookstore? You know. Every immature person in the world would be picking that thing up, going, dude, I want stuff. This is the book to get me Uh so that made a lot of sense. And and the publisher, I think, was singing, you know, prayer of Jabez, you know, money from this thing. They, so they really liked that idea. And so that was the working title as I was writing the book. In in the process of writing a book, you know, you get to a particular point and you've worked with your editors and on and so on. And then it goes to the marketing team. Well the marketing team at the publisher uh Got the book. They like the book, but they are go, we don't know about this title. So the president of the company calls me up and goes, yeah, the, the marketing team's having a little trouble with your title. Ask for anything and it will be done for you. And I said, well, what's the problem? They go, uh, they're afraid that it's really not kind of in our wheelhouse for mainstream evangelicals that it's really going to be thought to be a word faith book or something like that. I said, well, you know, maybe there's a good point there. I don't want to hinder the sale of the book or, you know, its impact because I, Choose the wrong title. So tell you what, let me do a little, uh, poll. Cause I've got like 5,000 Facebook friends, so I'll just put it out there to them. Here's two titles. I won't tell them a thing about the two titles, but I go, if you were to see these two books sitting on a bookshelf in a bookstore, you know, which would you be attracted to and why? And so I sent that out to my Facebook followers and just let it percolate for a few days and I got the results. 20 to 1. 20 to 1 against my original title. Why? And I didn't really ask for reasons why, but they gave them in droves. Like, no way, I would think that was written by Benny Hinn or some major figure in the word faith movement. So I would say far away from it. I go, wow. But that showed me two things. Number one, I should not title it that. Uh, <laughs> but it also showed me that, that, uh, we as mainstream evangelicals are very, uh, Stand offish towards a passage like this. You see, I was quoting a verse out of the Gospel of John, and it was causing people to be, you know, put off. And that's probably not a good thing. This is a very exciting pro- uh, promise here in the text, and so I think we want to deal with it that way. As far as the word faith movement goes, here is my response to that. Who cares? I am not going to let a group of people who have some errant views on things rob me of a promise like this from the Lord Jesus himself. This is too good to pass up. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bracket them out and leave them to do their own thing while I focus on this and get the best, uh, spiritual nourishment I can from this particular passage. So that's the, that's the problem of the word faith movement. Okay. The second objection or problem that people pose with regard to this passage. One pastor said, it well, simply that, Hazen, you got to be careful of that verse because it's a conditional, right? It's a conditional. If you do these things, then these things will happen. We're obviously not fulfilling the conditional, right? It says, if you abide in me and if my words abide in you, it's a double conditional. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. See, we're not fulfilling the if, so we're not getting the then. That's the problem with this. Uh, is that the case? Are we not fulfilling this? Are we, are we not abiding or remaining in Him? Are His words not abiding or remaining in us? Uh, I gotta tell you, I, I think that a group like this fulfills the conditional. I mean, for goodness sakes, you, you got up and you dusted yourself off on a, on a wonderful, you know, summer morning to come to sit with other Christians and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big point in your favor. And, and maybe even some of you are soccer fans and understand that the Women's World Cup final is going on. I see some of you watching your TV screens out there. Actually, USA won two to nothing, in case you're wondering. But here you are, you know, and, and here I am, I guess, you know, because I was actually, I watched every game. I missed the last half of the game this morning. But, uh, and it's amazing because I'll bet you read Christian books and you read the scriptures on a regular basis and you pray and you you even listen to good uh, Christian teaching on the radio or worship music and you teach your children to love Jesus and you read the Bible to them and they read the Bible to you and, and to your grandkids and the whole thing. I mean, you were just immersed in this whole Jesus business. How in the world are you not abiding in him and his words abiding in you? I can't imagine that that would not be the case. And Jesus was teaching this to people, again, who would go out and and deny him and hide from him and, you know, Uh, so it wasn't exactly the most mature and, uh, uh, deeply rooted crowd that he was presenting this to. So I think, I think we're safe to say that we fulfill the conditional. I think we fulfill the conditional. I think, I think you are all about growing in him and I think you are all about, uh, just understanding his word and how it can transform you from the inside out. I think that characterizes a group like this. So I think, we, I think we fulfill that conditional problem. What, what else is there? Well, here's another one. This might be the biggest problem of all, the next objection I'm going to bring up. It might be the thing that really keeps us at arm's length from a promise like this. And it is this. Uh, we, as a culture, are immersed in naturalism. We're immersed in naturalism. Now, we got a couple of philosophers in the room who could really, you know, they could spend the rest of the hour just giving a definition of naturalism. Uh, I'm not going there. What I'm going to do is simply, I'll make it simple. Uh, naturalism is simply, you don't really believe that supernatural things are going to happen. You really don't think those kind of things take place. Even if you're a Christian, you're just not sure those things are going to happen. Uh, you don't really see them. Uh, they happen very, you know, just once in a while, you you do believe. Oh, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but that happened so long ago; it's really not taking any you know skin off your knuckles, you know, to believe that. Uh, we are immersed in this view of the world called naturalism, and we just don't know it, right? Just like fish, you know, they don't know they're immersed in water, but they are. They're just up to their gills in it, right? And so, and so are we in naturalism, and we really don't know how deeply this has affected us. Uh, that we serve a supernatural God who will act, inter- interact supernaturally in our lives. That's something that's still very distant for us and, and something that we need to overcome. And, and praying about that is probably one of the most important things you can do to really uh, take hold of this promise. Lord, find a way to get me a big, deep breath of supernatural air. You know, the kind of air you breathe. I want to breathe that so I can overcome This inherent naturalism of uh, my life and my culture. So naturalism is a problem. My colleagues in apologetics at Biola, Scott Smith, wrote this. Uh, Naturalism is subtle. Most of us don't even recognize its pervasive influences on us as evangelicals. Yet if left untreated, it will utterly destroy us. The problem is this. The evangelical churches in the West have been so deeply influenced by naturalism that we have essentially been de-supernaturalized. By and large, we have lost the power and presence of the Lord that is promised in Scripture so that to a dangerous degree we are living in our own strength. And I think he's right. This, this is one of the biggest problems. It's hard to take a passage like this seriously if uh, you really don't think supernatural things are going to happen. And this, this would be an answer to a, you know, prayer in a supernatural fashion. So that is a huge problem. Uh, let me give you an example of this. So I have a, uh, a graduate of mine. His name is Kojo. Kojo is from Ghana. Kojo came to the United States uh, to do a, a master's degree in Christian apologetics. And then, because his goal was to go back to Ghana and to do ministry uh, among his own people. And so he earns his degree and he goes back and he does ministry for a while. And then he comes back for a visit and he stopped by Biola, stopped by my office. And we chatted for a couple of hours. Just fascinating hearing the kinds of ministry and the stories he was telling. But in fact, he he got a chance to give a, a major message in front of the parliament of Ghana, you know, uh and uh, and he was always out in the field in the bush, you know, doing doing uh, some kind of you know uh, uh, revival and preaching and so on. So he was telling me this one this one time they were out and they would go from town to town presenting the gospel and answering questions and so on. Uh, so he went here, he said, and we we presented the gospel, and uh, we did a lot of prayer, and we went over here, and we we prayed, and and uh, well, oh yeah, during this meeting, one woman carries in a dead child, lays it in front of us, we pray, the kid comes back to life, and we then we go to the next town, and I'm like, whoa, Kojo, back the truck up, you know, uh, and then he elaborates this story, and I go, oh my goodness, Kojo, why, you, almost every place you go, there's some, you know, glorious supernatural thing happening, and you know, people even come back coming back from the dead. He goes, "I go. Why? Why do you think that that doesn't happen here in North America? You know, in the in the Christian circles I run in." And he kind of he laughed at me, like like I can't believe you don't know that. I can't believe you would ask that. Oh well, look, I really don't know. I mean, I could guess, but help me out. Give me your expert opinion. He goes, "It's it's like this. You have nine one one. You see." You have Your first recourse is to run to your phone, dial 911. Now, you might be praying if you're a Christian on your way running to the phone, but you're going to dial 911. And I'm not complaining about 911, says Kojo. Uh, it's it's the common grace of God that provides you this wonderful emergency service. You're in danger. You need uh, a health team to come in. Man, you dial 911 and they just descend on you. It's just amazing what you have. <laughs> he goes, out in the bush in Ghana, we don't have 911. And so we, we resort to praying. We pray way more often and with re- way more fervency than you. And then we see a lot of answers to prayer and that encourages us to pray even more. We are simply more supernaturally minded than you are. Bam. I think he nailed it. See, we don't have much of a supernatural mindset. And to take, to take hold of a promise like this, I think you need that. All right. Well, there's one more objection and then we get to actually Uh, get the full benefit of this passage. One more hurdle to cross. And it's this, it's about context. It's about context. Uh, This is a passage that we find in the middle of a discourse on uh, uh, Jesus the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? And there's a context to this. Uh, as we had in the reading this morning, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He is the vine, we are the branches. By the way, uh, it was fun to actually read about some uh, uh, wine culture, to find out how they actually cultivate wine plants and you know grape plants and so on. And uh, this might not surprise you, but the vine is not the long skinny thing that, that goes off from the plant. You know, I grew up in the days watching Tarzan, and Tarzan would swing in on a vine. Uh, right? That's a vine. It hangs down from the tree. It's not the tree. But in this case, the vine is actually the plant that's firmly planted in the ground that has roots that go down and bring up the water and the nourishments for the... And those are sent out by the vine, the plant, the perennial thing, out to the branches. We are the branches. We're connected to the vine, and uh, we draw our nourishment and our... On our health from the vine and then we as as branches get to bear the fruit. Jesus is the vine. Right? He's there year after year plugged in drawing up what we need to survive. So we are plugged into the vine. And if we are plugged into the vine, right, uh we will it's inevitable say commentators that we will bear fruit. This whole passage is really about fruit bearing. That's what it's about. It's not about asking for, you know, uh, your ski lodge in Aspen. That's not what this is about. This is about uh, fruit bearing. So if you if you do not remain in me, says the text, you are like a branch that is thrown away and wither. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Uh, This is the real deal. If you are interested in bearing fruit for him, moving his kingdom forward, this is a promise you want to pay close attention to. Uh, In fact, you can take this to the bank. If you are about serving him, pushing his kingdom forward, and bearing his fruit, uh, you can ask for anything, and he will do it for you. Done deal. And I get so excited in my own prayer life when I've got some kingdom thing going, and I have a need, I go, oh, here we go. This is going to be, this is like a slam dunk in Jesus, you know? And uh, that's the kind of thing we're looking at. So there's this there's this very important context. Uh here's but and it it all gets wrapped up. The big crescendo is verse 8 of chapter 15. Uh this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's as if he's waiting outside the door with a basket of things to fulfill the needs that you have. He can't wait to get those things into your hands so that you can serve him. Uh, in in glorious new ways, bearing his fruit, moving his kingdom forward. He can't wait to do that. Uh, again, I'll quote a, an author, which would be me on page 143. Theologians have trouble finding words to describe the promise in John 15, 7, and similar passages in John 14 and Matthew 7. Uh, my colleague, uh, Klaus Isler, who has written, who has studied these passages carefully, writes that, quote, in response to this promise from Jesus in 15.7, scholars use words such as staggering, breathtaking, startling, and astonishing. J.I. Packer wrote that, quote, Jesus in his farewell discourse to the apostles spoke more than once of making requests to the Father in his name with astounding promises attached. Packer says, amazing, but that's what Jesus said, and all his words are true. The famous prayer servant George Mueller put it this way, Our difficulty seems to be this, the promise is so exceedingly great that we cannot conceive God really to mean what he clearly appears to have revealed. The blessing seems too vast for our comprehension. We stagger at the promises. I think that's very exciting. Let me close with an example of this. Okay, I just mentioned George Mueller. Some of you are very familiar with George Mueller. If if you're not, I can't wait to introduce him him to you. If, If you know all about him already, I can't wait to remind you about him. So Mueller, George Mueller uh, started several homes for orphans in Bristol, England. His first was opened in 1836 for 30 children, and by 1870 he was caring for over 2,000 children. He was a man of prayer who documented in diaries around 50,000 prayers, 30,000 of which were answered within 24 hours of the request being made. Mueller is known to have run a range of orphanages and other ministries without ever asking anybody for money. One of his legendary answers to prayer took place around 1861 in Bristol and is recorded firsthand by his colleague's daughter, Abigail Townsend. Abigail was playing in a garden near the orphanage. When Mueller came out, took her by the hand and said, come and see what our father will do. Abigail recounts entering a long dining room with empty plates, cups, and bowls lining the table. All the children of the orphanage were standing around the table waiting for breakfast. What Abigail did not know at the time was that there was not a morsel of food in the house. Children, you know that we must be on time for school, said Mueller. And lifting his hand, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Not moments later, there was a knock at the door. It was a baker who said to Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow... I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 o'clock, baked some fresh bread, and have brought it. A second knock was heard soon thereafter. This time it was the milkman. Mueller, my milk cart is broken down outside the orphanage. I would like to give the children the cans of fresh milk so that they can empty the wagon and repair it. Uh, They thanked the baker and the milkman, and they all enjoyed their breakfast. In Mueller's mind, there was simply no way that God would not do this. There's simply no way that He would not do that. Uh, I love those kinds of opportunities for prayer when I I get something in my in my like prayer vision. I go, "Oh, there's no way He won't do this," and I and I just lay it before Him, and I can't wait. He will do it. I mean, uh, His promise is right there in the Gospel of John, and uh, I just love this stuff. Uh, let me, let me do this. Let me, uh, let me stop here and I'll close with a word of prayer, but, but let me take a moment for some quiet reflection for all of us about fruit bearing and moving the kingdom forward. If there's some enterprises you are involved in, and they can be very broad based, I talk about those in the book, there's, there's all kinds of things that count as, you know, fruit bearing and kingdom work. But you probably have something in mind right now. I mean, it could be just writing, writing Amazing spiritual poetry, writing a new worship song, uh, uh, helping the, the homeless in this neighborhood, uh, taking meals to shut-ins, so you know, it's a, at the bigger churches, you know, helping the parking team, you know, uh, you know, uh, operating the fog machine, you know, these are, <laughs> there's, there's some wonderful, uh, ministries that push the kingdom forward. Maybe you, want, maybe you want to learn a new language to go be more effective on the mission field. All of these things are in God's wheelhouse. So you'll have something in mind. Let's take a moment of quiet just to think about those things, and then I'll close in a word of prayer, and we'll bring the worship team back up. Father, as your spirit brings things to mind in in, in my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters here, I pray that we would get excited about those things. Uh, you've got a vision for us to bear fruit and move the kingdom forward, and you've promised to provide everything we need to do that. And if there are needs out there, Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters would pray boldly for those and that they'd be patient, uh, that you would answer those things and uh, and that you would be glorified in every way. This is an amazing promise, Father. Uh, Forgive us for ignoring it for so long, Lord, but I I just pray that we wouldn't ignore it any longer and that we trust you for these things and it would be tremendous joy to our hearts and a tremendous witness to a dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.